Here's a rule of thumb. One third of your social sharing should be about your business. One third should be about industry topics and trends. And the final third should be about... This is Blair Durham with Black Wall Street Today, your media hub for all things black entrepreneurship, politics, news, and events in Hampton Roads and beyond. When I say black, y'all say Wall Street. Black. Wall Street. Black Wall Street. When I say black, y'all say Wall Street. Black. Black. I want to welcome you to this 12th edition of Black Wall Street Today. If you've not already done so, I want to encourage you to engage with us online. Please visit our website, www.blackwallstreet.today, to submit a request for a feature on our show. Whether you're in Hampton Roads or San Diego, we invite you to share your story and how it is you believe your work can better the world of Black entrepreneurship. Also, visit us on Facebook at Black Wall Street Today to continue the conversation. Like our page and let us know you like about the show. Today, our focus is building a platform. The Internet of Things has not only connected us intimately, but in doing so, it has created a space for the rapid building of platforms. Anyone who has something to say, a cause or a reason to connect others can do so with just a click of a few buttons. Creating a following and monetizing content is the name of the game. Today's show will focus on how two entrepreneurs are doing just that. And stay tuned because some of you may have a dream to build a platform of your own, so we will discuss how to get the ball rolling by building your social media following. But before we get to that, our first guest hails from the beautiful state of North Carolina. Stephanie Cottle is a graduate of North Carolina A&T State University and is the owner and founder of Black Girl Group, an online freelance marketplace that connects African-American women freelance creatives to companies seeking to market and advertise to African-American consumers. In addition to her role as a founder, she is a public relations consultant and ghostwriter that specializes in helping brands increase their online and offline visibility through media and press. Stephanie, how are you today? I'm good, Blair. How are you? I am doing wonderful. Thank you so much for being here. You have such a fascinating story. Congratulations on the success you're enjoying and thank you for the way you are impacting Black entrepreneurship. Thank you and thank you for having me. I'm really excited to talk to you this morning. As am I. I'm really curious, especially to kind of hear the backstory, right? I'm a story person. How did you get to this point? What inspired you to want to create this particular platform? So you know what? I always tell people that this was literally a dream. Um, I was working a full-time job from home in public relations, and I was putting in about 14 hours a day. And when I tell you where, like, I was losing my hair, like, literally, like, my hair was coming out. Uh, I'm also a mom. I'm also a wife. And, you know, as women, we juggle so many different things. So on top of juggling all these roles, I was also working 14-hour days. And I remember my supervisor telling me, like, Stephanie, you're not putting in enough hours. And I'm just like, I don't have enough time. Like, 14 hours seems like it's driving me crazy. So literally one night, I remember crying to my husband. I was like, you know what, I'm going to pray about it. So that night, I literally prayed and I asked God, like, God, you're going to have to show me a sign. Like, you're going to have to show me what is going to become of this situation. Because right now, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know where else to turn. And literally that night, I dreamed of the words Black Girl Group. 
And when I woke up the next morning, I was just like, okay, that is a great name, but like, what does this name mean? And so, <laughs> yes. like, I'm that person, like, when I'll ask God for a sign, and then, like, I'll ask for a sign, but when the sign comes up, then I'm like, okay, God, if this is really you, you're going to have to show me another, another sign. Another sign, right? <laughs> yes. And so, um, literally that night, I was like, okay, God, like, if, if this is a business, you're going to have to show me, like, is this really you, or is this, you know, me just dreaming something random? Like, what is it? And literally that night, I dreamed of a website fully built out, and it was a platform that connected African-American women freelance creatives to companies who are looking to market and advertise to African-American consumers. And when pause really yeah. quickly. Did you say <laughs> you saw this platform and what it does oh, yeah, in the, I in the did. following dream? Yes, I did. I mean, literally, like, when I, and, and it's so crazy because, I, I mean, I am a dreamer, but, like, to actually literally dream of the vision that God had for me, I was like, you know what, like, I got to do it. I have to. Like, this is, this is a sign that I needed. Um, and literally, like, the next morning, I, I got up and I, I bought the domain for the site. And about two weeks later, I was laid off of my full-time job. And I'm like, you know what? This is what I needed. Like, this business, God, God showed me the vision for this business because he knew the layoff was on the way. Mm-hmm. And I've been running ever since. So let's talk about the kinds of creatives that you work with. So who okay. typically accesses your platform? So typically they are uh, creatives in the marketing and advertising space, but we also often fill roles for like virtual assistants as well. But generally whenever we're, when we talk about creatives, we're talking about, you know, your web designers, your web developers, um, your traditional marketers, your traditional advertisers, of course, public relations professionals, uh, graphic designers, um, and the list goes on. Anything that surrounds the messaging aspect of marketing and advertising is who we generally bring onto our platform as freelancers. Okay. And then you've got the specific focus of wanting to connect these professionals to black consumers. Talk a little bit about sort of the end user side of things. So this is the thing, and I think most people don't realize this, is that oftentimes, especially, you know, when you're dealing with larger and smaller companies, people fail to realize just how much of the consumer buying power is in the hands of the African-American consumer. And so they often think, you know, hey, maybe we'll add a rap song to one of our commercials, or hey, maybe we'll put some cute lingo in that will attract African-American users. But when you actually come in and you analyze their marketing and their advertising and their creative team, you recognize that their teams only make up about 3% of African-Americans. In fact, like whenever you go and you do the, the math on the marketing and advertising industry as a whole, the, African, and the African-American um, employer rate is only at 3%, um, and that's both men and women. And so, Let me make sure I got that right, Stephanie. You're saying okay, that yeah. 3% of... Who is African-American? Just want to clarify. African-American advertising and marketing employees, period. Oh, so only 3% of those that work for advertising and marketing firms are actually African-American. Yes. Got it. Okay. So you're saying... But at the same time, mm -hmm. we control the spending power. Right. And so the numbers just don't add up. Mm -hmm. And so we really, really, really target um, our end users as being companies who are trying to target this growing audience, um, which is African-American consumers, and um, just don't have enough African-American people sitting at their table. Got it. 
So you're able to come in almost as a consultant to help. Yes, yes, absolutely, absolutely. I think it's brilliant. <laughs> yeah, and you, and you know what? And, it, and it's so crazy, Blair, because a lot of these companies, they'll, they'll come to me and they often say, like, we don't know what to do. Like, we're not racist. We love black people. And I'm like, you know what? I know that you love black people. I know that you want to reach them. But in order to effectively reach them, you're going to have to do a little bit more. Like, you're going to have to come on and connect with people like our platform. You're going to have to go out to, you know, the North Carolina a and the Hemp Universities, and start recruiting at some of these HBCUs if you really want your team to reflect the market that you're trying to reach. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're just tuning in, this is Blair Durham with Black Wall Street Today, and we're having a conversation with Stephanie Caudle, who is the founder of Black Girl Group, about just how it is that her company helps fill a gap in the marketplace by placing marketing professionals and various other creatives um, with the consumers that are actually looking for um, that are looking for African Americans to work with, or they're looking to uh, connect their products and services to the African American consumer. One one of the things that I'm a huge advocate for is pitch contests. And I know that part of your story involves winning a pitch contest. Um, I, th- I think there's a ton of value in vetting your ideas amongst judges and hearing others' ideas. Can you tell us that part of the story? How was it that you found out about the contest? Um, and, then, and then what happened after that? Yeah, so that was a, a crazy experience, that's for sure. So within my first year of business, I entered a pitch competition, and it was actually a video pitch competition uh, for Black Enterprise. They have a summit every single year called Tech Connect, where they bring in tech professionals from across the country to Silicon Valley mm-hmm. just for the opportunity to be able to explore what opportunities are out there for us as black founders. And so I entered the competition, um, I submitted my video, <laughs> and honestly, I didn't think much about it once I submitted it. I was like, you know, what if this is meant to be, it's meant to be. Yeah. Um, but as the time started getting closer and closer to them announcing the winner, I literally started getting ready for my trip to Silicon Valley. Like, I, wow. I hadn't been told I was going to win, but I started telling my family, like, oh, we're going to Silicon Valley in a few and they're just like, okay, Stephanie, you're crazy. I'm like, no, we're going. Like, I just strongly believe in my heart. I'm going to win this. Like, we're going. Like, I, I mean, it got to the point, like, I started going to the gym every day. So I'm like, okay, I need to make sure that I'm in shape for this competition. And um, needless to say, like, within a couple of weeks, I got the phone call saying that I had won the pitch competition. And Black Enterprise, they flew me out to Silicon Valley for the week where I had the opportunity to pitch my very first investor, and it was a Google investor. Um, So that was just like life changing for me because so many people, especially like African-American founders, only less than 1% of funding goes to African-American founders. Less than 1%. Wow. And so the odds were really stacked up against me from the beginning to even be able to get in front of an investor, but to be able to get in front of the top investor uh, within the first year of my business, which actually the first six months of my business um, was just incredible. Um, I did not receive funding that day, mm-hmm. but I received a ton of valuable feedback from the investor that totally changed the course of my business and the course of my life, that's for sure. So how stiff was that competition in terms of even getting to go to Silicon Valley to pitch um, your business? Oh, it was really 
Steve. Um, I was told that I was up against about 500 other founders. Um, and yeah, and somehow, some way, they believed in me. They believed in my vision. And they were just like, hey, we're going to give this girl a shot. And I'm really glad they did. Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about the experience once you got there. I am grooming uh, literally dozens of entrepreneurs to participate in a similar competition. So I really want to hear kind of the nuts and bolts of what that process was, how you prepared, uh, what the feedback was like. Okay, yeah. So the pitch competition that I did was a little bit different from your traditional pitch competition. I have done the traditional pitch competitions before where you go on stage and you pitch in front of you know, a room full of judges and also your peers, um, and then they just select the winner based off the other pitches. Mm-hmm. But this particular pitch competition, once I submitted the video, I won that competition. Um, they flew me directly to Silicon Valley, and I they set up a meeting with me um, with a VC by the name of Mo Tony, uh, which he's one of the top African American investors in Silicon Valley with Google. And that um, entire process. Okay, so in order to prepare for it, I really didn't know what to do, honestly, because this was my first time ever stepping foot in front of an investor. But I treated it just like I would if I was going on Shark Tank. Um, I literally studied other people's presentations to see what things worked on Shark Tank and what things didn't work. Um, But one thing that I can honestly say, Blair, that I wish I would have prepared more for Mm -hmm. was being able to walk in the room and give them a number on how much money I felt that I needed as a founder in order to be successful. Um, I definitely made a rookie mistake. I didn't know um, because, like I said, I never even stepped foot in a room with an investor before. And I just started my business, you know, six months earlier. And I remember the first question he asked me was, how much are you raising money for? And I looked at him, and I was just like, I don't know, maybe about 50000 And he was just like, I'm going to stop you there. He was like, you don't come into a meeting with an investor saying maybe 50000 Like, we need to know how you made money before, how, you know, how much traction you have, how many users you have on your platform, and exactly how much money you need and when you're going to get that money back to us plus more. Good point. If you're just tuning in, this is Blair Durham with Black Wall Street Today. We're chatting with Stephanie Caudill, who won a black enterprise uh, pitch competition. It was um, flown out to Silicon Valley to talk about Black Girls Group. She's sharing with her, with us rather, uh, her experience uh, in being a part of that particular endeavor. I think you made a critical point there. Um, so I've heard it said, you know, overprepare and know your numbers, right? Know them yeah. inside and out. Yeah, and I and I did not know my numbers. And whenever I realized he cares about number and I don't have these numbers, like I literally could have crawled under a rock. Like I really mm. wanted to just walk out and just cry my eyes out. But I was like, you know what, Stephanie, like this is your first meeting. This is a learning experience. Indeed. And, you know, I, I, I needed that, you know, like I came in like, oh, my gosh, like I can't believe it's happening. But I think that's one piece of advice that I would give to all founders, you know, in stepping into your first investor meeting. Don't get so caught up in the excitement of the meeting that you forget to truly prepare for that meeting. That's good. I love yeah. it. And also, can I share one more thing with you about that experience, too, is that um, 
At the end of my meeting, I remember the investor just pulling me to the side and said that he really felt that I had a great vision. But he did say to me, he said, as founders, he said, I often think that a lot of you guys think that you have to raise money. He said, some of you don't have to raise money for your business. He said, some of you can literally just start your business and start making money. And the money would fund the business itself versus you you chasing money. Because once you take an investor's money, the stakes go up because they they want their money back. So they're going to be on you all the time trying to figure out where are you? Where Where's my money? Where's my money? He said, if you're not comfortable with someone always breathing down your throat asking for their money back, then maybe, you know, investment isn't for you. He said, because it's not for everybody, but there's this whole misconception out now that, hey, if you're a startup founder, you need to be raising money. And at the end of the day, that's not always necessarily true. Hmm. Great takeaway. Yeah. You mentioned the vision. You said that the investors could tell that you you had a very clear vision and that it was something that was attractive. What is the vision for Black Girls Group? My vision, other than to take over the world, is at the end of the day, I really really and truly want to be able to help African-American women be able to take back their time, take back their money, and most important, be able to take back their lives. As I shared earlier about, you know, being a full-time public relations um, professional and not having time for my family and not having time for my friends and not having time for the things that I wanted to do because I was always working, working, working. And so through Black Girl Group, it allows African-American women, A, to do the things that they love, B, be able to make money doing the things they love, but most of all, it gives them the flexible lives that so many of us pray for so that we can spend time with our friends and we can spend time with our families and we can effectively manage these different roles that we take on during the course of our lives. That's really good. So as we're wrapping up, let our listeners know how they can connect with you. Stephanie, this has been great. I certainly hope that you will come back to the show, but how can we reach you exactly? Yes, absolutely. So if you are a company and you're interested in coming onto our platform to hire freelance professionals, I'll encourage you to reach out to me via email, and that's stephanie at blackgirlgroup.net. Um, multipleemail.com, so make sure you put the .net. Also, if you're on social media, we are on Twitter, and that's at Black Girl Group. So that was Stephanie at Black Girl Group? Or yes, Black Girls? Okay, Black yes. Girl. Got it. Dot net. Okay, perfect. Yes. I love it, Stephanie. Again, I want to thank you so much for being here, and I look forward to conversing in the future. Yes, absolutely. And thanks again, Blair. And to anyone who's out there, if you're a freelancer or you're considering freelancing or you're considering a flexible work life, please also reach out to me at the same email address. I'm always here to help inspire other aspiring freelancers to help them take their careers to the next level as well. Wonderful. Do you have a Facebook and Instagram as well? I do not. Only Twitter. Only Twitter. Ah, I get it. (laughs) Twitter (laughs) is definitely your space. I get it. Well, again, thanks again, Stephanie, and we'll talk again in the future. Thank you, Blair. Have a great day. You as well. Welcome to the show, Brett. How are you? I'm excellent, Blair. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. I just felt that it was poignant to have you on, particularly this time of year. Talk a little bit about what you've done in Military Circle Mall with the new toy store. Uh, Black Friday, three years ago, we opened the Toy Co. in Military Circle Mall. 
Uh, we just knew that it was something else that would bring more and a diverse uh, group of people to the mall. That was kind of what we're trying to do, trying to save Military Mall. Uh, I love uh, it. Th that's what it was all about. Something different other than uh, what's already there. I don't think your timing could have been better, though. I'm sure you weren't necessarily anticipating uh, Toys R Us going out of business, but you're right there in that space to capture that that audience. Right. Definitely. Uh, three years ago, we had no uh, idea that they were going out um, and can't even say yet that that impact, how it's going to impact us with them going out with people's mindset and still not knowing about Military Circle Mall. Sure. Uh, we're doing our best uh, getting ready to go on air with some advertisements to try to make people know that we are there for them and got a well-stocked store for toys this year. Definitely well-stocked for every age range, right? So you've got something from for newborns all the way up through, would you say, teenagers? Teenagers and adults buy as well, the collector. Games and, okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, say a little bit more about some of the things that the store features and, and what an, um, a, a new customer could expect to experience. Uh, we've got just about everything from bicycles, uh, just about everything that you would see in a traditional toy store. However, uh, we see an older crowd coming in talking about the old style games and toys that we still do carry. Mm -hmm. uh, we have kind of an old school approach. Okay. And uh, you see so many people coming in and so happy to see a lot of games that they saw when they were kids 50 years ago. So that's kind of like what it is. But uh, we stock just about everything from pranks. That's been a real good deal for us. Pranks? pranks. Yeah, pranks. Wait, give me an example of a prank. Are we talking about like whoopee cushions? Yes. What are we talking about? Yes, exactly. And the buzzers that you put in your hand when you shake people's hands. Uh, wow. Uh, pulling chewing gum out and getting shocked. We have all sorts of pranks. All of that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds like fun. Mm -hmm. Okay, and what are some of the games that you mentioned as well that people uh, are looking for from their past? All the things from Operation Monopoly, Trouble. I can't even tell you all of the games, but they're your traditional. Some of the stuff that you might have to find online, it sounds, exactly. it sounds like you have in your store. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. We're wow. hoping our best that uh, people will come out and try to utilize our company. Uh, not to mention that we're a black-owned company, but just just to come out and, and stay in the mall. The mall is a pretty cool place, and people just don't know. Every day a customer comes in and says, we had no idea that this mall was still open. So, wow, yeah. that's huge. Yeah, I know, too, the last time I was in the store, you have, what are the tracks called that are set up where folks can race their mini cars? What are those called? I can't even tell you the name of them. We just get them in and get them out. I oh. hadn't seen those in so long. <laughs> that's cool. My daughter handles so much of the ordering for the store, she would be able to spit the name out for you. I don't have a clue. I'm just like, it looks good, price point, let's get it out of here. Yes. Yeah, doing my job. Fantastic, Brett. I am super thrilled to have you on the show for sure. And I just want to encourage everyone, if you have not had a chance to visit the Toy Co. in Military Circle Mall, you guys are open when? Monday through Sunday. Uh, uh, Monday through Saturday, we're there from 10 o'clock until 9 p.m. Sundays, we're there from 12 until 6. We're having some extended holiday hours. Oh, yes. Next week, uh, where we'll probably be there until 9 p.m. and maybe opening at 9 a.m. Okay. 
Perfect. Doing any kind of special promotions you want to tell people about or? Not really. We, uh, we all of our locations kind of don't know anything about special promotions. Uh, we, we're just here. We're working hard and we're trying to get products in out of our store into your homes. And that's kind of what and we do. We're there to support you. We all buy toys anyway. So dig it. Yeah. <laughs> Share some money with us. Yes, absolutely. It's all about group economics, right? And circulating the dollar in our own community uh, as much as we can do that. Yeah, it's a great feeling to see people come into the store and not necessarily people who need something. They just come there because they know they need to put their dollars there. We take their dollars with the intentions of knowing how we need to spread the dollar back. Mm -hmm. So we go into the MP Caribbean, we go into Montego's and to eat and other black businesses with a smile on our face because we've carried your black dollar into wow. another black business and people don't even get it how happy and elated we are to give our money back to black. Oh man, Brett, that's huge. So we're not just supporting the community, but we're supporting a company that also believes in supporting the community. You know it. You know it. That's been your core since day one though. Since day one, 26 years ago. Yes, ma'am. Right. So we got it. I can't even, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention positive vibes, right? So yeah. you got your toys happening at the Toy Co., but then we've also got positive vibes. Exactly. Probably the first yes, African bookstore that Hampton Roads has had, right? Exactly. I mean, you had one in Hampton, uh, okay. USUB, who was before me. In fact, I went and did my first purchase from him in Hampton. Wow. Uh, it was a beautiful experience. And that brother, I still got to shake his hand a few weeks ago. He didn't quite remember me, but uh, mm. of course I wouldn't forget him. But yeah, Positive Vibes is still there, going on a 24th year of, uh, 23rd year of being there in that same location. But Blair, one important thing in Military Circle, we just moved our uh, art store, our African art store, into a much okay. larger location. Wow. Next still to the tour store. Okay. Right next to the tour store. It's almost 5,000 square feet. Wow. It is huge, and it's like four times the size of our first store. So please come out to the mall. Congratulations. Mall. Thank you. So we got books, we got art, we got toys. Yes, ma'am. You got the gamut we're as far as the retail this. piece. Yeah, we're trying very hard. Cosmetics is a big feature for us now. Brushing your teeth, deodorant, mm -hmm. natural products that mm -hmm. we're trying to bring in from mouthwash to deodorant is, is something that's helping to keep us alive. How can we connect with you? Give us social media, give us phone numbers. Okay. Um, obviously, we're going to come visit your storefront, but sometimes well, folks like to call ahead. I know I called ahead to see if you guys had either a chess set or a bingo game, had great customer service experience. So just let us know. Cool. Uh, the at Positive Vibes VA is one of the coolest ways that we're always online for okay. Instagram. And that's at Positive Vibes VA. Then you have the, our Facebook page, which is Positive Vibes uh, on Facebook.com. Uh, we also have PositiveVibesVA.com online as an internet uh, store as well. PositiveVibesVA.com. Uh, okay. Listeners who are out of the area, we also do Amazon. You can locate us on Amazon at, uh, and just look under our store, Positive Vibes, on Amazon. We have a wow, huge cool. amount of books and DVDs on Amazon as well. Look for our name, Positive Vibes. Positive Vibes on Amazon. I'm making a note of that. I had no idea. Okay. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, this has been great, Brett. Thank you so much. I look forward to having you back on the show in the future. And much success to you in this season and beyond. Thank you for the work that you do. Thank you for the opportunity, Blair. Absolutely. We'll talk soon. All right. 
Now, his life's work, he's helped guide in excess of 400,000 individuals to build home-based businesses. I believe that gives him a very unique vantage point, and that's one of the reasons we have him as a guest on the show today. How are you, Mr. Alvin Curry? Good afternoon, uh, uh, Ms. Blair. How are you doing today? And to the audience here, how are you all today? Doing exceptionally well. Thank you so much for being on the show, and thank you for your work. I appreciate the opportunity to be here today, and to all your listeners, I Merry Christmas to you all, and the most prosperous of 2019, but thank you for having me today. Yes, sir. So I want to jump right in. There's a lot that you do with my econ that I believe our listeners need to hear about. Talk a little bit about the principle of personal financial success. What does that mean exactly? Okay, thank you. First and foremost, let's 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 think about how prophetic the name is, My Econ. And that's short for My Economy. Now, here's the thing that I've learned in, in the 32 years that I've been in the financial service industry is that most people really don't talk about how a person actually fix their lives. They try to sell them an actual product. So we need to talk about what is personal financial success. And that's when you have enough cash flow, enough money to supply you your entire lifetime. Now we've been taught in our lives to go to school, get a good education, get a good job, work hard, keep your nose clean and things are going to work out. Well, all we have to do is look at some people. I like that, keep your nose clean. (laughs) And see see if we're gonna see if we're gonna be okay. Follow the people who have already retired, who followed that path religiously. And I'm not telling you shouldn't follow it, but look at how they are retiring today. And that's not a pretty picture. So here's what we say that personal financial success is. When you have enough money to last during your working years, which if you're in the thirties, forties, fifties or whatever, you work in that job, you have enough money to supply whatever lifestyle you like to have. But at some point, when you retire, you're going to need an income source. And at that point, you're only going to have income from whatever you built while you were working, whether that was your 401k plan or whether you built some type of business that supplies you income when you do not work. Each person must understand and make a determination before they reach the retirement age, when I retire, where will I get enough money? maintain my lifestyle so we teach people how to do that during their working years and during their retirement years Alvin I think it's great let me ask you this could you give us give us an example so let's talk about some round numbers let's say a person who maybe desires an income for life of $75,000 per year Okay, that's a great, that's a great idea because we see $75,000 as a good, solid household income. Okay. It's not getting wealthy, but that's a person or a family who go out and have a good job in our communities. They may work for the government. They may work in a, in your area there, something like, say, the shipyard or something like that. Okay. It's not too difficult to make $75,000 a year. Now, when you make that $75,000 a year, you get up and go to work every day. Well, when you get ready to retire, you need to set aside approximately 750000 more, more specifically, I think, $1.5 million in order to be able to retire. Because now $1.5 million at 5% return on an investment will give you the $75,000 you need a year. Now, Let's break retire, that down, Mr. Curry. I just want to make sure everyone's following. You're saying 
in order to have $75,000 a year coming in, it wouldn't be safe to retire until we had $1.5 million in a nest egg, such as a 401k. Okay. Let's Is look that what at you're saying? Okay. I, I, Go ahead. I, absolutely what I'm saying. So let's look at it, okay? Many people will say that, okay, if I got $200,000, $250,000 saved in my retirement account, I'm going to be okay when I retire. Hmm. Well, okay, we have to ask ourselves, if we're going to spend continuously $75,000 in our retirement years, because many people today are taking care of their grandchildren. Many people today refinance their homes and they still have a full load of debt when they reach retirement. And many people who have worked in, say, government-type jobs and different things like that, they have early retirement, which is to say they retire somewhere in their late 50s, early 60s. So now they still have a lot of debt when they go to retirement. So I think $1.5 million so if I get 5% return in an annuity or in a, in a mutual fund or whatever, now I can take that money and replace my working income. If I don't do that, where will I get 1.5? Where will I get 75000 from once I leave the job? The right. job is not going to give me that in retirement dollars. They're going to give me somewhere in the neighborhood of approximately 30 to maybe 40% of my base income, which in many cases could be somewhere in the thirty to $35,000 a year income. Well, that simply is not going to do. And that's why we see so many elderly people having to return to work after they have retired. That's really a sad thing. For those of you that may be just tuning in, you're listening to Black Wall Street Today with Blair Durham. We're with Mr. Alvin Curry now. He is one of the founders of MyEcon, which is a platform that teaches people how to get out of debt, really uh, pay less in taxes, and build wealth. We're talking about how it is we can accumulate the $1.5 million that's necessary in order to uh, really retire. So I think what begs the question or or what comes to my mind after hearing what you just said is what percentage of people are actually able to accomplish this goal of saving over a million dollars? Okay, that's a great question. Now, according to the U.S. Census Bureau, right now today, only four out of 100 people have enough money to retire and maintain their quality of life during their working years. Now, that really... Uh, Blair kind of blew my mind when I read that statistics because I am a person who grew up, I'm a baby boomer. I grew up in the early 60s in northern Mississippi. So I saw a lot of things that happened during the 60s. I was a little young, didn't really understand all of it, but that blew my mind. We are 50 years removed from affirmative action decisions, 1968, mm-hmm. integration, and all of those things. So people have gone to school, went to colleges, have great education, have had great jobs, have worked hard, and now people of my generation, they find themselves preparing to retire, and I travel this country all the time. I've done it now for 30 years, and I find people who are nowhere near prepared for proper retirement when they when they do it. So it really blew my mind because uh, it's only four out of a hundred. You think about that number, that is astounding. And so many people are struggling in this country today. So we have a different statistic. When you look at people who work with us in our program, that statistics of the people who actually do it, we literally have thousands and thousands of people who say 20 years ago, 
though, when we met them, was on course to be one of these statistical people who have applied the principles we teach, and now they have more than a million dollars in their portfolios and have properly retired, prepared to retire. Well, Mr. Curry, I'm interested. Let me ask you this. How is it that my econ can help an average person who's raising a family, working a job, um, to be able to save that that $1.5 million that they need in order to retire? Okay. That's a great that's a great question, okay? What we believe what I personally believe and what we believe here at the company is a person should do something we call 10 10 80. I am a believer that, uh, and giving to God, I believe that a person ought to give the first 10% of their income to God, the second 10% of their income they ought to give to themselves and prepare for their retirement. Okay. If a person saved 10% of their income, they would never have a problem in retirement. Take the next 80% to live on. Now, here's the problem though, Blair. Again, talking about myself as a baby boomer, Mm -hmm. I have raised a family for the last 40 years. It's something called life gets in the way of a person saving 10% of their income. Yes. Something called life gets in the way of a person giving 10% of their money to the church or to whatever organization they believe in. So life knocks a lot of people out of this loop. But at the same time, if they did this, the principle would never fail. It's called 10, 10, 80. 10, 10, and 80. I'm going to say every person has the ability to do that, but they have to re they have to reshape their thinking. They have to they have to do something different than what they have done. We have to challenge some traditional thinking and we're gonna to have to think outside the box. Hmm. Okay. So that's part of what the platform does is not only does it provide this instruction, but it sounds like it provides a community as well, right? So a support system to help people to make this commitment keep the commitment well, let's, let, 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 let me, may, I, may I expound just a little bit more on that I would love because it I, 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 I want to I want to really get our audience understand something here okay let's take a person making $75,000 a year okay. and to any of our audience out here that's listening today look at your last pay stub because we're near the end of the year and look at how much federal and state income taxes they took out of your check now I know this is going to be mind-boggling, but there is no law that requires you to pay taxes. There is, however, a law that requires you to file. There is, however, a law that says if you you owe money on, you owe taxes on all the money you earn. However, there is another law that overrides that law that says if you have these if you have enough deductions, which some people call loopholes, if you have enough of these, you can offset any taxes that you may owe. Let so me, now, let me interject who, right there, Mr. Curry. I want to make sure anybody that maybe just tuned in knows what we're talking about. Okay. <laughs> I'm okay, Blair yep, Durham. Yep, yep. This is Black Wall Street Today. We're with Mr. Alvin Curry. He is one of the founders of My Econ. He and about 100,000 representatives are teaching folks how to get out of debt, how to pay less in taxes, and how to build wealth. And so right now, he's setting us up to learn how it is we can really manage that tax scenario. Go ahead with those with those laws you were just talking about. All right, good. Thank you. And it is, I know that this is mind-boggling because we have been taught 
sometimes from the pulpits of our churches that, mm-hmm. man, if you don't pay taxes, you're going to jail. And wow. I can show you, and I want us to remember, because I know that this organization and many other organizations, we are politically also tied. If we go back to when President Obama and Mitt Romney was running for office, President Obama and Mitt Romney had debated this in the day. 47% of the people in this country pay no taxes. And yes. so Mitt Romney was caught on tape saying that. President yeah. Obama what was never that? denied What was that statistic again? 47% of the people in the United States of America pay no federal income taxes. And those are, these are people that make anywhere up to a million dollars. And President Obama never denied that statistic because it's true. Mm-hmm. And so in this country, let's be clear, you do have to file taxes. Let's be clear, if you don't have deductions, you will pay taxes. So let's be very clear. Okay. But if you get deductions, now you can lower your taxable income to the legal limit. And that limit, many times, is zero. So let's take the person who earns $75,000 as a household income. Let's say that they're married filing jointly for this example. President Trump has a new tax law that was signed into law in 2017 that's in effect this year, 2018. That family, for the most part, is going to get $24,000 in standard tax deduction. They brag about it on the television all the time about the person is going to file one little form and they're they're going to be just filing a standard tax form one page, that's going to be it. And so President Obama and the Republicans brag about this all the time. So $24,000, they're going to be left with $51,000 in tax deduct, taxable income. So now on $51,000 of taxable income, they're going to pay approximately 25% taxes on that, which is going to be $12,750 in taxes. Well, if they had a home-based business, they could do things like they could employ their children and work for them. You have children that's going to school. You have children in college. You could pay them up to $12,000 per year with and write that off as a tax deduction. Now, remember, anytime you do a tax deduction, you don't pay income on that. You don't pay taxes on that income that you have a tax deduction. So now you could do mileage on your car. Again, you could get ten to $20,000 a year, depending on how much business miles you put on your car. Okay. You could do things like travel. Many of us travel, even when we do things like vacation, we can incorporate that into our, into our expenses as business, which is what all business people do. So what you think about, if a big corporation left Hampton Road and took their board to play golf, in Florida. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They really went on a board meeting, but they also played golf. So they incorporate business and pleasure and write the whole thing off. <laughs> so, Myself and my uh, executive producer here are really enjoying this this uh, this offering. Again, thank you so much, uh, Mr. Curry, because we don't have these conversations enough, right? I, I say it all the time, and you know, my mother kind of gets upset with me, but I remind people that we had a television set on our kitchen table. So we didn't have these kind of kitchen table talks about money. And so as we're listening, you know, I hope that that this is um, hitting home for 
people, you know, think about these expenses and how it is that we can lower our taxable income. I think this is this is great. We've got about two more minutes. I'd like for you to share how it is that folks can access your platform. How can they reach you? How can they uh, get connected with what my econ is doing? Um, and how can this impact them? I would really love it if they would uh, email me directly because I want to talk to them. I mean, they can do social media and do all that, but I would love it if they would email me. I promise I'll get back to them at glory, G-L-O-R-Y, at myecon.net that's okay. glory at myecon.net that's the easiest thing if you email me I'll be more than happy to get back with you give you lots of detailed information you can also visit a website at glory.myecon.net and then the final way of course is people do a lot of texting it's easy to text me and I'll get right back to you because my generation is not the Facebook generation I'm not the baby I'm a baby boomer Okay. We're Texas. Okay. We're emailed. Last one is 770-696-6380 is an easy way to text me. And I would love to have this conversation with anyone who's looking to have a better 2019 than they had in 2018. Remember, in order to change something in 2019 mm-hmm. or to have different in 2019, we must change what we did in 2018. We That's cannot good. do the same thing and pray for different results in 2019. Mr. E- We've been Mr. told Econ. every year. <laughs> I bet to say, Mr. Curry, say your phone number one more time. Okay. The phone number is 770-696-6380. Okay. Got it. Okay, perfect. Do you now believe in your opinion? One last just, thing real quick. Okay, we got 10 right. seconds. Right. Go ahead. Ask the question. Ask the question. Well, I just wanted to know if me, my, I can't get it out. My econ is a business that anyone can do. Is it? Absolutely. Anyone can do this. We have people from age 21. We have people all the way through age uh, 70 plus doing this business. So we have people all over the place that is doing this business every single day. So we'd love to have you call us and contact us. Reach out to me and I promise to get back to you within a 24-hour window. I'll answer every question you have and give you documented proof on everything we stated here today. I'll show you government proof everything I said because I know I made a big statement you made a huge statement and we've got to go I've so appreciated the time Mr. Curry I look forward to having you back on the show in the future and when we return as promised I'll teach you how to get the ball rolling by building your own social media following I promised I'd teach you how to develop a social media following. Perhaps you're someone who, like Mr. Alvin Curry or like our first guest, Stephanie Cottle, is looking to start your own platform. First step is, and this is brought to you by Relevance.com, is perfect your brand image and your company mission. First thing first, who are you and what are you looking to do? Second, you want to follow influencers in your niche on Twitter on Pinterest, on Instagram, and or Facebook. Follow the influencers in your niche on social media, right? There you're going to discover what people are talking about and how they're doing it. Third, you want to start building your community on social media. You're going to send personal messages to some of your friends and family, asking them to like your page and to follow you on social media. 
You definitely want to send an email to your existing client list. That's another piece. If you don't have an email list, start to develop one. Fourth thing is post relevant and interesting information on your social media accounts. Keep them updated. If your company has a blog, don't just regurgitate what's already on the blog to social media. You need to post other relevant information from other reputable sources. Here's a rule of thumb. One third of your social sharing should be about your business. One third should be about industry topics and trends. And the final third should be about you or other interesting and funny news or events. And step five, interaction with your followers. People follow you because of who you are. Yes, they want to know what you're tweeting, what you're sharing, but they're really invested in you. So reply to your followers, retweet them when it's relevant to your brand and add your own comment in the retweet. Create lists on Twitter for specific niches if you don't want to follow everyone. You should follow someone who contributes to your knowledge and is helpful and insightful. Use humor. You definitely want to share funny photos, funny videos. People love humor and they want to know that you're engaging, that you're human, that you're witty and that you're helpful. And the last piece is, and I've talked about this before, is find hashtags around your brand and use them. For example, if you're in the travel industry, you could use hashtag Travel Tuesday to find new potential community members. Use hashtags to engage in Twitter and Google Plus chats that are relevant to your brand relevant to your brand. I have been Blair Durham. This is Black Wall Street Today. Appreciate you tuning in and look forward to talking next week. Stay with us online at Black Wall Street Today on Facebook and Black Wall Street Today on Instagram. And then follow us on Twitter as well at BWS Today. We look forward to talking again next week. Have a wonderful week. I have said and I will continue to say that the most important priority for the black community is the black community, not a particular political party.